0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Let's pray. Father, it is good to be a part of a church family with a vision, with a plan where there is life. And Father, as we think about the future of our church family together, and as we think about the renovations and the additions, Lord, we're aware this is much more than a building. So much more significant than that. This is about people. This is about men and women and boys and girls that you've called us to reach for Christ. We think about being able to to welcome people and when we think about uh, the accessibility uh, to our, our church for, for, for young and old alike, when we, when we think about uh, the renovation of our preschool and children's area and, and youth area and, um, and, and, and our worship center itself, Lord, we're, we, 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 we're aware that this is not about a building. This is about our mission. This is about the great commission that you have given us as a church family. And so, Father, we're thankful to be a, a part of this. And as we uh, join together and we, we look forward to a commitment Sunday, October uh, the 20th, uh, when uh, we'll be able to, uh, to leave our seats and, and, to, and to, to bring forward, as you put it into our hearts, uh, what you lay on our hearts to, uh, to commit for this, this great mission project, really, Father, we pray that you would work in all of our lives as we prepare, in the, in the hearts of of, um, of of couples as we get together and we, we pray together about what you would have us to do um, to help our church to, to move forward. And Father, we pray that you bless your Word now as we think through what your Word says about these things. Father, we pray that it would be true in this room today, what was said at the church, of the church at Thessalonica that, that when, they, when they heard the word that they received it not as the words of mere men but with power and with the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And so speak to us now through your word we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to open God's Word with me this morning to to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you're new this morning, uh, we've been working our way through uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and this is part of, we're calling the series, By His Grace and For His Glory, everything that we have is by the grace of God and now our lives as believers are pointed toward His glory. We want the glory of Christ to shine in our community and around the world. We want our lives to count to make an impact for the glory of Christ. And that's really what Paul is talking about in these two chapters. And what we're going to do today is we're going to begin, we've worked our way through up to verse 16 of chapter 8, and we're actually going to finish chapter 8 and move on into chapter 9 today. Follow along in your copy of God's Word. Paul says, beginning with verse 16, "...but thanks be to God, who put it into the heart of Titus, the same earnest care I have for you." For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself. Now, if you're new with us today, what Paul is talking about here is that He's coming to the church at Corinth. This this letter is written to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth. And they and some of the other churches that Paul was working with were joining together in a special offering for the church at Jerusalem. That's what he's talking about here when he refers to this act of grace in verse 19. He's talking about the offering that these churches are joining together to collect. This act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord Himself. It's for His glory. And to show our goodwill, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, ...but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints... ...for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated. To say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, let's go back to verse 16. And, uh, and as we, we're going to kind of breeze through these last verses of chapter 8 and really move into the heart of this text, which is in chapter 9. In verses 16 through 24, Paul is talking about the fact that he's getting ready to send three colleagues to Corinth, and their job is to kind of prepare the congregation there for this act of grace, for this special offering that is being taken for the saints in Jerusalem. So he says, I'm sending Titus, and then he mentions two other guys, and he doesn't give us their names. We don't know who they were. They were probably well known by the church. But he's saying there in verses 16 through 24, these guys are coming and I want you to, to welcome them. They're, they're trustworthy men. Welcome them when they come. And now as we move into chapter 9 and, and, and verses 1 and 2, uh, notice what he says here to uh, the church. He says, now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. What Paul is, is basically saying here is that uh, he's saying that uh, Titus, these other two men are, are, are going to, to come, I'm going to, to follow up, and, and, and when we think about the special offering that you're going to take, he says, you know what, I almost don't even have to write to you guys. About this, Because I, I, know that you're, I know that you're looking forward to it. This is something that you want to do. you said all along you want to do it. It's something that you uh, desire to do. And in fact, he says, your zeal for doing this has actually uh, stirred up other people to want to be a part of it. Now, the Greek word that is translated as stirred up in verse 2, it's a very interesting term. It's a term that can be used negatively in the sense of to, to irritate or to provoke or it can be used in a very positive sense and it's in that positive sense that Paul is using it here in verse 2 when he talks about the fact that their zeal for participating in the special offering has actually it's stirred up other people to want to be a part of it. Their example had been like a a positive provocation for other people to be involved in it. The word originally uh, was used, when when it was used in a positive sense in first century culture, it was used to describe um, the way that athletes can stir up, other athletes, their teammates. How teammates on, an af- on the athletic field uh, can actually, by their example, they can lift their teammates to, to greater heights. You, know, you think about it. Think about like in a football game when uh, one of the players is he's, he's injured and, and his teammates know he's banged up, but yet he's still out there playing. I mean, he's still out there, he's sacrificing, he's out there on the field, he's he's just he's laying it all out, he's, he's giving it his all. What does that do for his teammates? It inspires them, right? It's, it stirs them to greater heights because they think, you know, if he can get out here and, and, and play banged up, if he can get out here and play with the kind of limitations that he's dealing with, I mean... You know, how much more could I give of, of, of myself? What, what could I do? You know, and, and he's, Paul is, is using the example of, of giving in that way as well. He's saying your zeal for, for wanting to give and participate in this has actually, you know, lifted other people as well. Don Linscott, who you saw on the, the video tells another story about something that happened when he was helping another church in their, in their uh, uh, campaign for their, their building project. Um, some of you have heard this. But it's, it's really powerful. But um, Don talks about the fact that there was, a, there was a guy in the church, in this particular church, that came up to him one, one day, and his name was Mark. And Mark had a, a yellow legal pad and it was marked all up. He had all kinds of you know scratches and scribbles on there, and uh, he came up to Don and he said, "You know my wife and I we've been going through and just looking at every, you know everything that we spend and our, our, our life and our, bill, our bills we've been putting it all together and um, and he said, "You know we've figured out a way that we can give eighteen, thousand dollars to the campaign." and he showed. He showed Don the legal pad, and it had all kinds of stuff on there. But hey, Don saw like the word uh, uh, iron on there. He said, "Mar, what is, this, what is this iron about?" He said, "Well, you know what? We figured instead of getting our uh, my clothes laundered, you know, I'm going I'm to learn how to iron." I mean, it was that detail. You know, they, they, they had systematically gone through and, and thought through everything. Well, long about the same time. Uh, another man in the church, in that particular church, uh, a, a business owner, approached Don. He said, Don, I just want you to know um, that uh, we're going we're to give $300,000 to the campaign. And Don said, that's, you know, that, that's good to know. Thank you. Um, well, about a week or two passed by, and uh, that same business owner came up to Don again. And he said, Don, have you seen Mark's? yellow legal pad? <laughs> and Don said, yeah, he did. He, he, sh- he showed it to me. He said, well, you know, you know Mark's one of my employees, right? And Don said, yeah, he, he, he had mentioned that to me. And, and the business owner said, I want you to mark off my, my 300,000. And Don just, you know, he gulped. He thought, oh no, he's, 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 he's offended somehow or, or, or whatever. But then the man continued. He said, I want you to, I want you to mark out my 300,000 and put me down for a million. He said if Mark can do what he's doing, then I've prayed about it and I can do a whole lot more. Now that's the kind of thing that Paul is talking about here. That's, that's the positive kind of, of, of stirring up, of, of lifting up of one another. He says that the Corinthians had, had, had done that for, for other people. Now, in verses 3 through 5... What he's doing here is he's talking about the fact that Titus and these other two guys are going to come to make sure that the offering is ready by the time that Paul gets there. Because Paul is going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to take that offering to the needy people in Jerusalem. And, and he wants to make sure that when, when Paul himself arrives that they're prepared to give it. Otherwise, it's going to seem like oh, Paul's showing up on the scene and, you know, and, it, and, uh, and now he's, he's kind of twisting our arm to give. And it's going to seem abrupt. It's going to seem forced. And that's not what he wants. And so what does he say to him in 9.5? In he says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that... It may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The last thing in the world Paul wants is to show up in Corinth, and they're not ready uh, to give or anything. And then when, he, then when he asks them to give, I mean, it's going to seem forced. It's going to seem like an exaction. He doesn't want that. This should be a joyous thing, as he stresses throughout this text, this is to be something that is done with just a, a great amount of, of, of joy in our hearts. Notice what he says in verse 7. He says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, how does giving get transformed from something that is reluctant to something that is done with joy, something that is done with cheer. I believe the key to that goes back to the grace of God. It's understanding God's grace toward us in the gospel. In Dickens' classic Christmas Carol, a notorious miser is transformed into a joyous giver. And you've seen the story. You know Ebenezer Scrooge has this dream in the middle of the night. And, uh, and he, his past is replayed before him in this dream. And he just sees the, the, the train wreck of a life. I mean, the human wreckage that has been left in his, in his wake. And just what a mess he's made of things. But also in this dream, he, he sees that the future... Can be different. That, that it could be a new day. And then he wakes up and it is a new day. And he has an opportunity before him. And he knows that, you know, even though he deserved, you know, nothing but judgment really, that there's an opportunity to, before him now uh, for a clean slate and, and to make an impact for good on, on, on the lives of of people. And of course, Dickens in that story is drawing upon deep gospel themes. Because that in a way is is the story of every believer. I mean we deserve nothing but the judgment of God. But we have a Savior who took our judgment for us on the cross. We deserved nothing but God's condemnation because of our rebellion and sin but we have a savior who took our condemnation for us on the cross so that as romans 8:1 says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus we are forgiven we are we are free in christ all of our sins past present and future are under the blood of christ they're all pardoned they're all forgiven Christ took our sin. You know, we've taken His perfect righteousness. His perfect righteousness has been credited to our account. God has now adopted us as beloved sons and daughters of the King. And we're headed for glory forever very soon. Or Christ is coming again very soon. And when either of those things happen, material things aren't going to mean anything. And so when we understand all that, when we understand the grace of God toward us in the gospel. I mean, it just results in joyous giving because we've received the ultimate gift. And so cheerful giving goes back to an understanding of the grace of God that we've received in in, in the gospel. That's the key to cheerful giving. It's also the key to generous giving, which he talks about in verse 6. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What is it that prevents generosity? What's the biggest barrier to generous giving? Is it greed? Well, it is in some cases. But I think in far more cases, the biggest hindrance to generous giving is fear. We fear that we're not going to have enough down the road. Now... Paul is using this analogy from the world of farming to to just attack fear when it comes to giving. That's what he's doing here. It it comes from the world of of farming and and Paul's getting them to think and getting us to think. and, And basically he's saying this, listen, does a farmer consider sowing generously to be a loss? Are you kidding? A farmer knows that the more he sows, the more potential that he has to reap. In fact, he knows that to not sow bountifully would be to cheat himself of a bountiful harvest. I mean, how much sense would that make? How much sense would it make uh, for a farmer to say, oh, you know, I'm going to hold back on the seed. I'm going to scrimp. I'm not going to sow much seed. I mean, is this a recipe for prosperity in farming? And see, here is what fear of generosity doesn't take into account. The, that fear that we feel, okay? we've, and we've all felt it, but that, that fear of giving really generously doesn't take into account the generosity of God. That's the heart of it. The God factor. Are we factoring in the outrageous, lavish generosity of our God? What does he say in verse 8? And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. A couple of things here about verse 8. First of all, He says that God is able to make all grace abound to you. We're not talking about a needy God. We sung about the God that that we serve earlier. He is a God of wonders beyond all majesty. He is Lord of heaven and earth, and He owns it all. And He is more than capable of blessing His people when they give he is able to make all grace abound to you take care of everything you need so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work listen the farmer doesn't sow generously so that he can reap generously and just keep all of that seed in the barn. We saw last week what happens when we hoard, right? Maggots. The farmer sows generously so that he can reap generously and then be able to sow even more generously the next year. And it just goes on and on and continues to grow. He knows that the more he sows, the more he will reap and he can sow even more the following year and things just continue to grow and to multiply, which is exactly what he says in verses 10 and 11. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. This is something that Melissa and I keep in, in our home. And we keep it here to help us remember what I'm talking about. We keep this prominently displayed in our home to help us remember the generosity of God. This is something that I bought in Israel. It's a replica of a famous mosaic that commemorates one of the miracles of Christ. It's the miracle that we looked at just a few weeks ago in John 6. The the feeding of the called the feeding of the 5,000, and as we saw, it's more, it was more like the feeding of the 25,000. As Jesus takes five loaves and two fish, and he feeds 25,000 people with it. And what happens is that he, he takes the five loaves and the two fish, and he does what? He, he, begins, to, he begins to distribute it, and it just keeps coming and coming, and coming, and coming, there's and coming. There's an ancient church that is built on the traditional site of where that miracle took place. And this mosaic is, is in that church. But the church is called the Church of the Multiplication. I was reading something just this week that really blessed my heart. It was a story from the Islamic world. Um, In the Muslim world today, a lot of people, because there's, there's just very limited access to the Gospel, right? And so God is using, a lot of times He's using dreams and visions to bring people to Himself. And this was a man who had had very little exposure to the Gospel when he was was giving this testimony I'm going to share with you. He said, one day my wife and I sat down for dinner and the only food that we had was a small bowl of macaroni that we were going to share between the two of us. But my wife prepared it beautifully as she always does. And we sat down to, uh, to share in this bowl. And just as we sat down to eat, there was a, a knock on the door. And it was one of our neighbors. It was one of my wife's friends. And I thought, oh no. I mean, we don't even have enough. For two, let alone three. And, and in our culture... In, in Middle Eastern culture or North African culture, y- you wouldn't dream of not inviting that friend in to share the meal with you. And so she came in, she sat down with us and, and began to eat with us. And the macaroni began to multiply in the bowl. He said, I rubbed my eyes. I, I, I just thought I was just seeing things, as any, anyone would think at that point. He said, I, I looked beneath the table just to see at my, make sure my wife hadn't set aside something extra that she could, she could bring out. There was nothing under the table. And he said, my eyes met my wife's eyes. We locked eyes. And she had seen the same thing that I had seen. But we, we said nothing in front of our neighbor. He said, that night, I went to bed, lay down to sleep, and a man came to me in a dream. And he said to me, Do you know who multiplied the macaroni? And I said, No. And the man said, I am Isa Almasi. Jesus the Messiah. Follow me. And not only the macaroni, but your life will be multiplied. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your amazing, abundant grace. That Lord, You are able to make all grace abound to us. Lord, as we see in In the Gospel of John, we have received grace upon grace, one blessing after another. And we've received the ultimate gift of your grace, which is Jesus. Father, we thank you for the salvation that most of us in this room have in Christ, that we received as a free gift. And Lord, we, we know that salvation is, is ours. We know that uh, we're headed to see you very soon or you're coming for us very soon. And Lord, we know that, that when that happens, earth's currency really is not going to matter. And we get one short life on this earth to make an impact for your glory. Lord, Help us to to not be in the position of one day looking into Christ, the, the eyes of Christ, into the eyes of a Savior with pierced hands and looking back on our lives and thinking, I wish I'd done more. I wish I'd done more. Lord, help us to max it out for your glory in this life. Your grace has been so amazing. And you're able to meet every need. As we just continue to reflect before the Lord, maybe you're here this morning, you've got questions about the gospel, this good news that we've been talking about. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And I want to invite you to come. Maybe God's speaking to your heart today. Say, I want to give my life to Jesus. We want to invite you to come. As as others stand and sing, they'll gladly make way for you. Or maybe you're here today and you would say, I I want to be a part of this church family. I want to lock arms with the brothers and sisters here as we advance the gospel. We want to invite you to come for our people to meet you and welcome you. Maybe you're here today and you just want someone to pray with. The altar is open for you. We have people here that can pray with you. You come. So, Heavenly Father, we give you now this time of decision. Uh, God, would you work in our minds and hearts uh, today and in days to come very important decisions uh, that we all have to make for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.